Um, a couple years ago, or sorry, a couple years ago, a couple months ago, uh, shortly before I moved to uh, back to Scottsdale from Michigan, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine in Michigan. Uh, this particular friend grew up in Europe, a very post-Christian part of Europe, so really very little interest in God, very, very skeptical about religion in general. And I was actually telling him about the fact that we were moving, I'd known him for years, uh, moving to Arizona to try to start a church, do a church plant, which is kind of a new concept for him. And I, w- I told him, you know, and one of the things I hope for our, the church we're starting is that it will be a place where people that aren't absolutely convinced that Christianity is true can come and ask questions and uh, be, be welcomed into the community. And that caught his interest. And he said to me at that point, he said, Scott, okay, tell me, answer me this. How is my life going to be better if I believe in God like you do. I don't believe in God. You believe in God. Tell me, what's, how, how, how is believing in Jesus going to make my life any better? I'd like to know. And I said to him two things. The first thing I said to him was, that's the wrong question to start with. And I felt compelled to say that because we're, we're living, I think, as, as you may know, in, in, in this uh, cultural moment where most people Uh, view religion, if you are religious, more as a therapeutic thing to to help you feel a little better about life when you're down. And and I said, I I didn't want him to think that. So I said, that's not the the right first question. The right first question is, is it true? Right? Is there a God? Right? Is Jesus who he said he was? Did he actually come to earth and die on the cross and and rise again? And that's where we start, and I believe it's true. But, but his question was still a good one. And, And I said to him, because it's true, there actually are a lot of benefits to believing. Uh, there's a, there, there, your life actually is a lot better in many ways uh, if you believe because uh, it, it is true. And one of the things we're going to look at, there are many things, of course, but this psalm, Psalm 27, highlights a very, very powerful one. One of the benefits of being a Christian, of believing in God through Christ, is freedom from fear. Freedom from fear, and that's what David in this psalm really expresses. Uh, uh, If you believe in God, you can live a life free from crippling fear and anxiety. That's what I want to really drive at this morning from this psalm. And even as I say that, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds sounds pretty attractive. Who wouldn't want to live a life free from fear? Fear is one of the most pervasive and crippling realities that all of us, to some level, experience in our life. And it actually starts pretty young. You start having the emotion of fear very young. Maybe kids, uh, you're afraid of the dark and need the nightlight on. And there's that crippling sense of fear that comes when that's not there. And, well, maybe you still do that and you're 50. That's okay. You, you can be here and still be afraid of the dark. Uh, but as we grow old, you know, fears don't go away. They, get, they just get more complex, don't they? Uh, and there is much to be afraid of in the world, right? We fear all sorts of things. We fear rejection. We fear failure. We fear the uncertainty of the future for ourselves, for our families. We, we fear sickness and death. We fear for our country. Uh, we fear being alone. We fear not being accepted. We, we, we have all of these fears uh, that tend to keep us awake at night, and my guess is that all of us here have something or other that is, that is on our minds. 
And so the confidence and the freedom that, that David seems to have, at least in this moment, as he writes the psalm, it's, it's very attractive. It's, it's, uh, it's a hopeful word, given the fears that are everywhere around us. How freeing would it be uh, if, an, no matter the, what the circumstances of your life are, how freeing would it be to be able to say like David does, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And what a wonderful freedom that would be. I mean, I want that. Don't, don't you want that? And as Christians, I think it, it's, it's very true that this is one of the ways we live a very countercultural life. Uh, there's many ways we do that as God's people, but one of them, and, and God addresses the fear all through the Bible. It's not just this psalm. And it's clear that one of the ways we, we are different from the world, from the culture we live in, is that we, we don't need to fear. And, and as Isaiah said in Isaiah 8, we don't fear what they fear. We don't, we don't fall and tremble in terror at, the, at everything that's going on in the world. We have a deeper hope and confidence that enables us to move towards that. So let's look at Psalm uh, 27 and outline for this morning. I just want to talk about, first of all, David shows us what we need to do to be free from fear. What do we need to do? And then how do we do it? What do we need to do and how do we do it? So let's start with what do we need to do? And there's a very simple principle that the psalm teaches, that David teaches in this psalm. If we want to be free from fear, it's actually quite easy. Not really. You have to replace your fear with faith. I mean, that, that's the fundamental principle. That's what we must do. We have to replace our fear with faith. And David, throughout the psalm, expresses this. The, the reason he can be confident, no matter what the circumstances are, is because he has a strong trust, faith, in God's protection and provision in his life. You know, in, at the end of verse 3, uh, he says, the war arise against me, I am confident. Another way to translate that would be, I am trusting. Trusting in what? Tr- well, trusting in God, obviously. I, I remain trusting in God, no matter what's going on. And then he goes on in verse 5 and following. He has a confidence that no matter what's happening, God will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Uh, he, he believes, verse 13, I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So there's this, this confidence in, in God that, that is enabling him to face his fear. Now, it's important to, to, to see that the faith that David has is not some fuzzy, naive optimism that somehow things are going to work out. I think sometimes when that word faith gets thrown around today, that's often what, I'm not sure what people mean. We just got to have faith. Well, faith in what? Faith in who? Uh, and and all, sometimes people just referring to just some, well, I just, I just think it's going to work out. That's not what David's talking about. Uh, nor is it, is it faith in himself that enables him to defeat his fear. And this is, I think this is where this psalm really challenges our secular environment. Because if you go online, and because this is such a pervasive reality, you can find literally thousands of articles uh, about how to deal with fear. And almost inevitably, if you, if you look at these things, one of the number one things you'll read is you, you need to have confidence in yourself to press through. Uh, so it, it, there is a level of faith, but it's always faith in yourself and your own abilities and your own strength to meet whatever challenges 
uh, come your way. That's not the faith that David's talking about, right? He, it's not faith in himself. It's faith in not even a generic God, not, not faith in a higher power. It's faith in the biblical God, the God who is all-powerful and yet all-loving and all-merciful. O- only faith in him, as we will see, can help us really deal with the many fears that are all around us. And it's also important to point out, uh, David is not teaching here. This psalm does not teach that if you're a Christian, you can be free from fear because nothing bad will ever really happen to you. He's not saying that following God means you'll have not, you won't need to fear because, well, you, you'll never, God will just always lead you into green pastures and nothing really fearful will ever come into your life. Actually, it is the, op- the logic of the psalm is the opposite. I think this is very important. He says, you know, in verse 3, though, though even if an army encamp against me, I won't fear. Even if, if war arises against me, even if my father and mother forsakes me. So it's almost like he's, he's saying no matter what the circumstances are, even if the things that are most fearful that I can think of, being abandoned by my parents, right, having all these adversaries against me, even then, even then, I don't need, I don't need to be feared because God will be enough. And this is important uh, for Christian life in this world. The Bible is, is very real, isn't it? Sometimes uh, the things we're afraid of do come true. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not that that's not the case. Now, of course, many times they don't, and all of us are prone uh, to worst-case scenario thinking in every circumstances of our life. You know, I see a red dot on my hand and in my mind, I'm in cancer, dying in six months, and my, my wife and children are destitute, right? I mean, we all have a tendency to go that way, and that, that's, not, that's not necessarily healthy or good. But sometimes, we need to just be honest about this, sometimes the things we fear the most do come true. Uh, I remember reading a, an article that contained an interview with the, the now deceased Elizabeth Elliot, uh, which is a name some of you will know, famous missionary Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, and towards the end of her life, she was doing an article or doing an interview, and she actually used that expression, reflecting back on her life. She was, I think, 91 at the time. And if you know her story at all, you know she, in many ways, had a very, very difficult, sad, and tragic life. A lot of joy there, but uh, you know, she and her husband went as missionaries. Within a year or two, her husband was, was killed by the very people that they were trying to reach. She was left a single mom with a two-year-old. Then she remarried, and her second husband died within four years of cancer. Towards the end of her life, I think she had dementia. I mean, many of the things that are just really sad and awful things. And she actually said in this interview, you know, it's true as I look back on my life, some of my worst fears did come true. And that always stuck with me is, you know, that, that is life. Uh, sometimes what we're most afraid of does happen, and the way to get free from fear is not to ignore that. It's not to pretend that that's not possible in a fallen world. Uh, rather, what we see David doing is facing them, naming them, and getting to a place where his faith in God's love, his provision, his protection is bigger and stronger than even his worst fears. Uh, that's how we do it. Now, that's, now, that leads to the second part. How do we do that, right? That's what we need to do. Got to replace our fear with faith, but how? Because I think we all know it doesn't come easily, and, and just because uh, you're a Christian, it doesn't happen automatically. It's not as if a flip, uh, sorry, a switch is flipped, 
and we never fear again. That would be, that would be great, but that's not often how it happens. And we do see some insight from David in this psalm about the process of replacing fear with faith. And I, I want to just walk through the psalm and point out a few things. Here's the first thing. How do we do this? First of all, we need to acknowledge the true cause of what makes us afraid. And specifically, that it's not our circumstances. It's not our circumstances that lead us to fear. That's not the logic of the psalm. David says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so if the Lord is the stronghold, whatever the circumstances are, we don't have to be afraid. So if we are afraid, it's because at some level, it's not the Lord that's our stronghold. It's never our circumstances that's the ultimate cause. It's it's a false refuge. It's a, it's a false stronghold. If God were really our refuge, we really wouldn't be afraid. Um, the fact that we are means that at some level, he, he, he's not. You see, we, we fear because something has replaced God as, as the source of safety and security in our life. Uh, that's the logic of the psalm. You know, we, we all find safety and security in something or someone. We look for it somewhere. Right? We, we look for it in money, affirmation, politics, whatever. We, we all sing Psalm 27 about something or someone. Right? Um, and anything other than God is a false refuge, and it will lead us to fear. Just a quick example of this. A couple years ago, we were bringing in at my former church in Michigan, I was bringing in a, a young woman into membership, and she was sharing a little bit about her coming to faith. And she said something which I had never heard before, which is part of her journey, she had lived most of her life as an agnostic, atheist, kind of back and forth. And she said part of her journey towards embracing the gospel was the 2016 election of Donald Trump. I said, well, you got to tell me more about that, please. I've, this, now you've got my attention. And she said, well, at the time, you know, I, I, I was really an agnostic, and when when uh, Trump was elected, I looked around and she said, all of my secular friends were absolutely devastated by the result. I mean, deep fear, the sky was falling. These are her words. The sky was falling, their world fell apart. And that, in God's grace in her life, had a profound effect on her because she said, I saw that and I realized I don't want to hope that's so easily dashed. I, I, don't, I, I want a firmer foundation for which to, upon which to live than the political ups and downs that happen every four years, right? No matter who is elected or who's not elected. It's, uh, um, and, and so what she, what she saw, what she's talking about is, you know, she saw a lot of fear and panic. I mean, we see this, I mean, of what she, she put her finger on, a reality. Every four years, there's fear and panic from one side or the other, and ultimately, it gets to the Bible's word, don't put your trust in princes. Not that politics don't matter, not that elections are unimportant, I'm not saying that, but if our world comes crashing down, if the sky is falling, if we're panicking because of who's in office or who's not, it's a sure sign we've forgotten that God is in control, right? And we have put our trust, there's a false foundation, we've put our trust in princes. Now that's just an example, but you could apply that anywhere. Wherever we're, we're having deep fear, there's usually a refuge that's, 
that's false, and we've got to go down there. So that's the first step in overcoming fear, is to recognize it's not our circumstances, but it's, it's a false foundation that we're trusting in, and we need to dig and do some looking. And then the second way we, we move towards replacing our faith, uh, our fear with faith, is really just the reverse of that. We need to actively seek greater communion with God until he becomes our refuge, until he becomes our refuge in truth, not just in, in word. And that's what David does. In verse 4, I think, is a pivotal verse in this psalm. One thing I've asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, to gaze upon, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So it's interesting, the one thing David asks for as he's afraid and trying to face fear, he doesn't ask for a change in his circumstances. He asks for a deeper experience of God in his grace, in his power, in his mercy, right? Um, he, doesn't, he, he, he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. That was the tabernacle. Kids, the tabernacle is where God's special presence was, where he promised to meet his people in a special way. That's what David knew he needed. Uh, that's what we need. That's the one thing we all need if we're going to truly face our fears. We need a deeper communion with God and his grace and his power. We need to, to know him more, right? J.I. Packer famously you know, wrote a book, I think it was in the 80s, right, Knowing God, and he made the, the distinction that there is a difference, right, between knowing about God and knowing God. Uh, that's what David is, is hitting at here. David knew a lot about God. He says, but I, I want to be in your presence more. I want to know you more intimately. See, our problem when we're afraid, it's not an intellectual problem most of the time. We know God is all-powerful. We know his promises. We know he promises to take care of us. We can rehearse these things to ourselves. We know we shouldn't be afraid. So our problem is not intellectual. It's experiential. It's relational. Um, it's do we really trust that God, who we know about, will exercise his power and his care in this moment, in this situation, in my life right now? Do I really believe that? That's the difference. And so David seeks this greater communion, this greater trust and experience of God's uh, glory and power and grace. He says, one thing I will seek after. And he models for us a process by which we move towards greater communion with God. And in the time we have left, I'm going to briefly uh, kind of highlight what he does here. It's helpful. Uh, David embodies the ancient paths by which God's people for uh, generations have really sought after a greater experience of God, not just knowing about God, but knowing him, gazing upon his beauty. And before I, I look at it, it, it is challenging. I'll tell you, for, for us as American Christians, what David does is challenging, not because it's hard to understand, uh, but because it's not, it's not a quick fix. And as Americans, we're so attuned to getting everything that we want right when we want it. I mean, we live in the days of Netflix. Uh, we don't even now, I mean, a, a show ends, and within 10 seconds, the next show starts. We don't have to push a button. Right, we live in the day that we can literally get anything we want from any part of the world within 24 hours through Amazon. Uh, and I, I, I fear sometimes we bring that into our, our spiritual lives. We expect things to be so easy and convenient, and we expect Christian growth to happen 
kind of automatically and, you know, with all the technology, I mean, can't we just make an app for this? Can't we just put something on our phone, you know, the Do Not Fear app, and it flashes a verse or two, and I, I'm good? I mean, it, this is the mentality we have to fight against because the reality is when we're talking about real character change, it does take time. Uh, it takes discipline, right? It does not happen overnight. It is a process. It's, there's nothing convenient uh, about it. But what does David do? What's this path? Well, he ponders, he prays, he praises, and he perseveres. Now, very briefly, let, let's walk through this process. First of all, how does David seek after a greater experience of God? He ponders, right? He says, verse 4, what I want to do, I want to go into your temple, I want to inquire in your temple. And you might see that in your footnote, another way to translate that is meditate. I want to meditate in your temple. Meditate on what? Well, obviously on God, on his promises, on his character. And I, I, I think we see him uh, doing this a little bit in the first two verses. He's, he's talking in a way to himself, right? He's trying to take what he knows about God and apply it right to a situation, right? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Right? You can hear him thinking through this, right? God promises he's good, he's powerful, he's got me. Whom shall I fear then? Right? The Lord is my strong. Whom shall I be afraid? He's working through the implications of what he knows is true about God, and he's really trying to personally bring it into his present moment. That's what biblical meditation is. It's, trying to, it's taking hold of what we know to be true about God and saying, this is mine. This is mine. It's for me. It's for me right now in this situation. And we, we ponder that, and we try to bring it in uh, to our, our life. Um, then he prays, right? Notice that verse 7 and following is a prayer. Lord, he says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You've said, seek my face. I'm seeking you. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Cast me not off, right? He, he is pleading with God for a special sense of his presence, Right, he, he's praying not just to get things from God, but to get a greater experience of God himself, that he would have the communion by which he seeks. And this is so important for us. We must pray our fears to face our fears. When our fears are big, when God seems so distant, we have to walk this ancient path. First Peter, cast your cares upon the Lord because it's often in the act of doing that that we really know and believe and come to rest in the fact that he cares for us. And that changes everything. And then David praises. So he expresses the desire to offer sacrifices to the Lord uh, and, and sing with shouts of joy, sing and make melody to the Lord. Now, the, uh, of course, going, uh, again, that's the tabernacle, but our, our equivalent of that today is coming together like we are this morning with God's people to worship uh, together, to offer sacrifices of praise from our mouth, uh, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, worship is incredibly important to living a life free from fear. And it's not because every time we walk out of worship, our life has been transformed like that. You know, wish that that were so. I have to share with you, our, our son had us laughing this week because my, uh, my wife earlier in the week made just a wonderful batch of fresh muffins. And they were really good, uh, 
good flavor, good texture, kind of crunchy on the outside, soft and warm, fresh out of the oven, cinnamon. And we were eating these things, and my son just uh, had us all laughing because he said, Mom, uh, this muffin is life-changing. <laughs> we said, really? I mean, it's good, but life-changing? Yes, yes, this has changed my life. And he really believed it because we had someone over the next night uh, for dinner, and he was telling her, uh, our guest about the life-changing muffin, right? You need to have this muffin. It will change your life. So, and, and I have to admit a little bit of, little bit of I don't know, jealousy because I'm thinking to myself, why, I wish you would say that about some of my sermons. Uh, you know, life-changing. Um, wish you'd just stay awake in some of my sermons. Um, but as I was thinking about that, I mean, th- th- that's the hope, of course, that every pastor has for every worship service, right? That we would come in here wherever we're at, discouraged, hopeless, maybe just burned out, or maybe in a pretty good spot, but whatever, wherever we come into worship, we leave, that was life-changing, right? I met with God, and that was amazing. That was unbelievable. That's the hope, but that's not often the reality. I, I admit that. I mean, sometimes it is, right? Sometimes God really moves, and we, we pray for that. Um, but it, worship is important not because you're going to have a life-changing experience every time you come. Um, would that it were so. But it's important because whether we realize it or not, as we, as we do what we're doing here each week, as we as, uh, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, as we, we learn to stand in awe of Him, as our call to worship said, as we sing of His greatness and power, it chips away, right? It chips away at the, at the fears that control us and enslave us often. As we, as we behold and, and praise God for His greatness and we sing of the one who holds the universe and our life in his hands. Whether we realize it or not, it's chipping away at our fear, and we're growing uh, in grace. Worship is so important, just doing that consistently throughout our life. So David praises, and we must as well. And then David perseveres. He perseveres. So verse 14 is kind of his final word to himself and to all who will take up this psalm after him. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait. Right? This is a process. We ponder, we pray, we praise, but then we repeat. We persevere. We, we keep doing it. it does, it's not a switch. It's not going to happen overnight. Sometimes it might. Normally it doesn't. We, we, we wait for the Lord. We wait for Him to come. We keep seeking, keep pondering, keep praising until we see His beauty. Right? Until we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, until we see his face, your face, Lord, I seek. I'm going to keep coming until I see your face. Hide it not from me. Because when we see God's face, when, when we have assurance that the light of his countenance is really shining upon us, then whatever we're facing, we know we're going to be okay. And so we seek that. We keep going. We persevere in that. And it's, it, you know, it's interesting that David uses this expression of seeking God's face because in the Old Testament, that was a very elusive reality. People would express, I want to see God's face, but nobody actually could. You might think of the story of Moses, kids, where Moses says, Lord, I want to see your glory. And, and he gets closer, I think, than anybody else in the, in the Old Testament. And God says to him, well, no man can see my face and live, but I'll hide you in the mountain and you can see my back. 
That's about as close as anybody gets to seeing the face of God. So it's interesting that David uses this. He really didn't seem to have the ability to do that, but that's where the gospel changes everything. And as you and I gather here for worship this morning, we need to know that we can see the face of God in a way that David never could. We see the face of God in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. We see the glory of God now in his son, in the face of Jesus Christ. And so if we want to grow in our confidence of God's love, his care for us, his protection, no matter what we're facing, we look to Jesus. Uh, we, We ponder the gospel and the implications. We praise God for what he's done uh, through his son for us. We, we think about the striking reality that, that on the cross, Jesus did not experience the truth of this psalm. God the Father did turn his face away from him. Right? He sought God's face and God forsook him on the cross. But as we ponder that, it leads us to praise and confidence because we realize that's because he was bearing our burdens and suffering in our place. And we know now that because God hid his face from Jesus, even for a moment, as we seek him, he'll never hide it from us. Uh, Because he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us all things? And we we work out that that logic into our lives. We pray it, we, we think it, we ponder it, and it will, inevitably, it has to free us from our fears as we believe it. Uh, because the same Jesus who died rose again from the dead, sits on the right hand of God and promises believers, promises you, Christian, every hair on your head is numbered. I know them all. So two questions to finish. Have, have we put our faith in this Jesus? Have we put our faith in Christ? If we, if we want to really be free from the fears that oppress us, he is the only refuge that can endure all the storms of life. Everything else will fail. Everything else will prove to be a false refuge. But if you have put your faith in him, then, Christian, why are we so afraid all of the time? For if God is for us, who can be against us? If the Lord is our light and our salvation, whom shall we fear? Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord God, I I do pray and ask, thank you for your words, thank you for this psalm of David, and I I just pray that your Holy Spirit would come and take the word and drive it deeply into our life. Lord, we we confess of many times where we we walk not by faith but by fear and pray that you would reverse that by your Holy Spirit. Give us that spirit uh, that is not of fear but of power and love and self-control that we might live a life that glorifies you, enjoys you more, and, and it just as a, as a powerful witness to our neighbors, our communities, to a watching world of the goodness and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.